Our scripture reading today is from John 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also in you, remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The word of the Lord. So John and I have lived in a number of apartments and houses in our adult lives, each one of which has its own little treasures for us to find. I'm sure you're all familiar with what it feels like to move into a house and have these little things um, that the previous renters or owners have left behind for you to discover. We moved into our house here in Arnold about a year and a half ago, and what they had left for us, one of the things was in the garage. In the corner, on the drywall, just above a handwritten note that designated that corner as Hazel's place, which I feel like there's a story there, um, there's this bumper sticker on the wall, and it reads, Calaveras makes wine. Napa makes auto parts. <laughs> so you've all heard me say it before, but I love living in an area where people love where they live and loving enough to even talk smack about another prominent location, where, the most prominent location for vineyards in the US. It's a level of confidence that I can certainly get behind. So here in Calaveras County, we boast over 15 wineries, many of which are just down the road from here, and so we are right above, and many of you actually live in wine country. I drive past the vineyards and I'm in awe. I didn't grow up next to vineyards. I find them fascinating. So years ago when I was in college, I majored in environmental horticulture and plant production, which is to say plants. I majored in plants. And probably because I didn't know that studying grapes Viticulture was even an option, and I feel like that's a missed opportunity at this point. So naturally, anytime that there are these plant references in the Bible, like we see here in John 15 about the vine and the branches, my ears perk up because I love to see what else is going on here more than what meets the eye. So let's take a look at what's going on here and unpack it just a little bit. Just a little bit of background. Here in John 15, we are in the second half of John right in the middle of Jesus's farewell statements and his final instructions to his disciples. It's Thursday night. 
after the Last Supper, and it's likely that this lesson is taking place between Jesus and his disciples as they move, they are walking through town from where they were in the upper room celebrating Passover on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that brings us to verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So right away, we see Jesus' boldness here. This is one of his final I am statements in the book of John. He has been speaking of who he is. The bread of life, the light of the world, the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, truth, and the life, and now the true vine. This is a throwback to Exodus 3 and the name I am Moses received when talking to the burning bush. Jesus is not pulling any punches here anymore, and he is being very clear about stating who he is. But what is he relating himself to? He says, I am the true vine. Throughout scripture, the language of the vineyard and the vines is quite abundant, and it's often used to depict Israel, God's chosen people. In Psalm 80, he says, Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us the way that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. In Isaiah 5, it says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved, God, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved has had a vineyard on, fertile, on a fertile hill. He dug all around it, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. And then again, in, in, ahead in verse 7, it says, For a vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. But here we see Jesus say I, this I am statement, saying that he is the culmination, the fulfillment of everything that Israel's history has been leading up to. He is the true vine. So the vineyard is not all of Israel, but rather one vine, Jesus. Verse 2, he, God, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So we have to peek ahead a little bit to see where Jesus is going with this. Verse 8 says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. So it's the fruit. The fruit is the natural byproduct of being a disciple. We look to the fruit as a sign of being a disciple, which is to glorify God. That's the whole point. But here he's talking about pruning. Okay, so we have a little bit of a viticulture lesson coming up, but keep your mind on what is happening in our passage as we go through this. Grapevines are needy little suckers when it comes, in particularly in the, in the department of pruning. According to my viticulture resource, grapevines produce fruit clusters on the previous season's growth, which is just interesting when we think about how immediate results we want in our own lives, but that's a different thing. Before pruning, a grapevine may have 200 to 300 buds which are capable of producing fruit. If the vine is left unpruned, the number of grape, clus grape clusters would be excessive. 
the grapevine would be unable to ripen the large crop or sustain adequate vegetative growth. The purpose of pruning is to obtain maximum yields of high quality grapes and to allow adequate vegetative growth for the following season. Pruning is done in a timely manner and in season. Grapevines pruned, even in the right season, may bleed heavily. However, the bleeding will not harm the vines. So a branch that is not fruitful, has, no, has leaves but maybe no clusters of grapes, is not helping the end game, which is the harvest. So it's cut off. The desire is to put all of the energy into branches that are providing a yield. But even those ones, the ones that have grapes, are pruned so that the vine's energy is not spread thin. So during the pruning process, when the vine dresser goes to prune the vines, the branch would probably be thinking, why are you doing that? You're destroying me. I worked so hard on that. You think that God gave you a plan and direction in your life, and it's all changing. This wasn't the plan, and now everything is ruined. But it's because you're producing fruit. He has cut you back so that you can increase your fruitfulness. It's a refocus of energy. The branch may bleed, but the pruning is good. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So Jesus is talking to the disciples here, and the root word in clean is the same as in prune. So in the New Living Translation, it reads, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Verse 4 and 5, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Makes sense. Hard for a branch to continue to do anything when it's lying on the ground. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So remember, we're going towards verse 8, so let's look at that again. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay, so we're looking at the fruit. How do we make fruit? Jesus answers this. Remain in me, or in other translations, you'll see the word abide, which I find to be such a beautiful word. It's not one that we use a whole lot. To abide here is to remain connected. It's to be fixed in, to continue on in. So this is deep connection language. It's not just, don't fall off, you need me. It's stay connected. Hold on tight and I will hold on to you. So just as an aside, can you imagine what it would have been like to be Jesus walking with his closest friends just hours before Judas betrays him, just hours before he's handed over to be crucified, and he's saying to his friends, abide, remain, stay, knowing he's going to be betrayed, knowing they scatter, knowing they deny him, but yet he tells them, abide, remain, stay. This is us too. Jesus knows we fall short, he knows we scatter, and he knows that we're not really good at staying all the time. 
but he pleads with us to become a part of him because we can do nothing when we are separated from him. We are like branches on the ground. Okay, abiding and remaining. We have this interesting perspective on this text because we are 2,000 years later. We have never been in the physical presence of Jesus and then been told to abide even though he's leaving. The disciples had been abiding. Jesus was there with them. So the disciples had quite the predicament. How do you stay connected, remain in Jesus without, you know, Jesus? So interestingly enough, in chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, and he's telling them that he's going to be leaving, but, they, but that they won't be alone. He is sending his advocate, his helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is who will be with them. So in John 14, it says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and, he, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and bring, your rem- bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit is the divine, personal presence that was promised in Christ's departure. The link to the connection between God the Father and God the Son their abode in which here the disciples and now all believers are invited to participate in. The Spirit is how we stay connected 2,000 years later. To be connected to the vine, abiding, means that the life of Jesus is flowing through us as nutrients from the ground flow through a vine, and that leads to fruitfulness. And remember, Verse 8, it tells us that the fruitfulness is the outward sign of the internal connection and the life change that glorifies God. Okay, so we're going to go down a little bit of an agricultural wormhole, but stay with me. There's a point here, I promise. So as most of you already know, my family and I are not native to California. We're transplants. So I grew up, for the most part, in rural southwest Minnesota, pretty close to the corner of the state where it's almost Iowa and not quite yet South Dakota. There in the flattest corner of the state, my dad is a farm tile drainage contractor. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, um, but in the Midwest, some people make their entire livings by removing excess water from the ground. That's my dad. Yes, it happens here a little bit in the valley, but that's not the point. Stay with me. So in the spring, before the crops go in, and in the fall, when the crops come out, my dad goes out to survey the land of some farmer's field, and sometimes while he's taking numbers, I'm jotting them down on the other end of the radio, and then he uses those numbers, and he creates a topographical map which is paying attention to the slightest of details because that that ground is flat. And finally, he would create a plan for a series of arteries of tile 
which is this black, round, corrugated, like perforated pipe that's installed four to six feet under the ground to create almost like these underground rivers or waterways, but I always like to think of them as kind of water slides underneath the ground. So it provided an easy pathway for all of the excess water to drain out of the field. It's crazy, right? Excess water, we don't really have that here. So during this process, to connect the lines of pipe to each other or to start a new line, you have to dig a hole that's like four to five feet deep. And here, this is where I'm going with this, do you know what that dirt looks like when you dig that hole? It's black. It's so black. You might hit some orangey-brown clay at the full depth of the hole, but that's it. The, the soil is heavy and deep and rich. It squishes. And do you know what they grow in that deep, fertile, black soil? Corn, soybeans, corn and soybeans, for as far as the eye can see. Want to know what you don't really find much there? Vineyards, grapes, not so much. So I understand that Minnesota has very harsh winters, but knowing how much produce comes out of California, I was blown away the first time I came here and I saw the color of the soil. It does not make sense to me. So according to my viticulture resources, most experts suggest a slightly acidic, fertile, sandy loam, one that is neither nutrient deficient nor overly rich as the best type of soil for grape growing. It is a well-drained soil with a crumbly mix of sand, silt, and clay and slate and gravel and shale, when blended in the right amounts, offers the ideal soil type for grape growing. So you mean this California soil that is kind of hard and has this orangey-red color. Why? Because grapes love the rocky soil. It's not soft. It's not fluffy. It's not really full of organic material, nor do vineyards often require someone like a farm tile drainage contractor to remove the excess water. Grapevines like it to be a little bit more of a rugged terrain. So the almost harshness of the soil here in Calaveras County in the Sierra Nevada foothills is so conducive to a vineyard precisely because that is what the vine requires in order to be fruitful. In fact, the only reason a grapevine produces any fruit is because it's under so much stress in that rocky soil that it thinks it's dying. It needs to reproduce and it needs to do it now. If the soil is soft and deep and rich and all black and wonderful, the grapevine will produce leaves and branches and leaves and branches and it will be all bushy and leafy. It's growing, but those clusters of fruit are harder to come by. Grapevines produce when they're scared they are not going to survive. So just like grapes like the rocky soil, so too are we called to be uncomfortable in order to produce fruit. We are called to share in the trials and the hardship that were Jesus' life, 
His time in ministry was not comfortable. He was betrayed, accused, and beaten, and crucified just hours after this exact same conversation. It was not easy for him, and when we abide, when we remain and stay, he will be with us in the uncomfortable but fruit-yielding rocky soil. Verses 6 through 8. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this is where he's been going. The pruning endured and the abiding in the vine that is planted in uncomfortable, rocky soil leads to this. Glorify God through our discipleship, which is what he's looking for as the fruit we bear. So the obvious question is, what is this fruit that we're looking for? So I don't know about you guys, but I don't grow grapes. Despite even my college major, which was plants, all the house plants that I have are the ones that you're not supposed to be able to kill. And somehow I still manage it quite often. There are no flowers, and there are, there's certainly no fruit. So in Galatians 5, Paul tells us what the fruit is supposed to be. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now let me tell you, when I picked this passage, I hadn't fleshed out all the thoughts and ideas, and I didn't, wasn't quite sure where everything was going to be going, but I certainly did not think we were going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Never have I read this passage and thought, fruit of the Spirit, that's where Jesus is going with this, I know it. The fruit that I have always read into this passage looks something like the ministries I'm involved in are well attended and they seem to be going well. Check. The children of mine appear to be decent human beings most of the time. Check. Uh, my spouse and I get along really well and we have these really great, meaningful conversations about Jesus and the church and all those things. Check, check, check. These are all great things, and I like them because they feel measurable and attainable, and I love a good checklist. But this book doesn't talk about these kinds of things as our fruit. Now, I know the fruit of the Spirit is like a whole sermon in and of itself, and actually John did that like whole sermon series on it, so you can go back and look at that if you want to, summer 2020, I think. Um, but here are some of the things that I want us to look at and to walk away with today. The first being, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we can easily try to look at that list 
and get hyper-focused on the fruit. Love, check. Joy, check. Faithfulness, check, check, check. Patience, okay, maybe not that one today. Let's take a look at the other ones. But this, it's backwards. It's not going to work. This is trying to be a good enough, decent human being on our own accord. If we focus on the fruit, we leave Jesus out of the equation. He tells us that without him, we can do nothing. We think it's love, but without abiding in Christ and having the spirit work in and through us, it's only a glimmer of what true love actually is. It's only a glimmer of joy, only a glimmer of peace, glimmer of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What I am not saying is do those things to look like the fruit and be a good person. What I am not saying is that you can be the, a kind and faithful person and have self-control, and if you try hard enough, that will bring glory to God. You can't try hard enough at this. You can't earn it. Secondly, I want us to understand what the fruit looks like. When we abide, remain, and stay in Christ, there will be pruning, which isn't always fun. We don't always like the whole redirection of pruning. And as we abide and thus share in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, Having the Holy Spirit draw us into that connection between God and Jesus, that soil that we're connected to, it's sandy and it's rocky. There's not much moisture in it and it doesn't feel too great underfoot. But it's the perfect combination for fruitful growth. So if you feel like that's you right now, in the rocky soil, maybe finances are tight, maybe health isn't so great, or maybe you're in a life transition that you didn't necessarily pick out for yourself, abide and look for the fruit. Abide and the fruit of the Spirit will flow from you and it will be to God's glory. Think of those people that, you know, when you think of them, you're just like, they are on fire. The spirit is in them. Look at those people. And I love this quote from one of them. She says, those people may say that life is seasonal between hard and excruciating, but they would never say that it has been easy. Or if you feel like that's not you right now and the fruit maybe seems a little sparse, Step into the uncomfortable. You know that spot between a rock and a hard place that we so desperately try to avoid? Make that spot home. Whether that's interacting with people that you don't necessarily normally talk to, or taking the job even though it's not the safe and secure option, 
or stretching yourself into different ministries that push you outside of your comfort zone and you're normally thinking, I don't want to do that. When you can do nothing else but fully rely on and, and abide in Christ, the fruit becomes abundant. Lastly, sometimes we as Christians see ourselves and others and they have these things flowing through us and out of us into the world, things that we put out into the world that are not the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit that looks nothing like love, nothing like joy, certainly not peace nor patience, and things that aren't anything close to kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we find ourselves here, we need to check where our branches are attached to. Because that fruit, the fruit that does look, doesn't look like those things, does not come from the true vine. So when we abide, when we attach ourselves to the one true vine, and know that the gardener has a plan, that is where we find the fruit. Mm -hmm.